Hi, I'm Sunny Dean. And I'm Scott Drakeford. And this is the Publishing Radio Podcast. In 2022, we both launched debut novels in the same genre with the same publisher in the same year. But despite having very similar starts, our books, and subsequently each of our careers, went in very different directions. That pattern repeats itself throughout the industry over and over. Why do some books succeed while others seem to be dead on arrival? In this podcast, we aim to answer those questions and many more, along with how to build and maintain an author career. Everyone signing a contract deserves to know what they're really signing up for. In an industry that loves its secrets, we'll be sharing real details from real people. We'll cover the gamut of life as a Big Five published author, from agents to publishing contracts, finances, and more. I don't know if you know the, the premise or if it helps to know or we can just launch it. Just launch in. I never, I never want to know, ever. <laughs> okay, that's yeah. fine. Uh, welcome to the Publishing Radio podcast. And this week we have on with us RJ Barker. Hello. And R- <laughs> RJ. <laughs> um, and I'd, I'd heard of RJ's books for a while as a, as a kind of fantasy reader. And, and I remember when I first sort of encountered him with air quotes around that is when uh, Lee's Writer Circle sent around some random email that had all of the the authors who are part of the circle, and it had RJ's website, and I saw that, and I thought, oh my god, there's a famous fantasy writer in my local writer's group, how did that happen? <laughs> and uh, after I signed with my editor, Lindsay, RJ reached out with a really lovely email just to say hello and, and assure me that I would be in good hands, because um rj is another <laughs> lindsay author originally although he she, well she left me yeah she left you off to to do <laughs> tall because she was all but yeah better. but she's lovely yes. and i love her uh, yeah rj you've got a, a really lo- fairly long publishing journey and uh, various things that kind of cropped up in that and if, if you feel like introducing yourself and talking about some of that in a general way it's just a starting point that would be great yeah um uh oh do you, do you want me to tell you how I ended up an author mm-hmm. from the beginning yeah. I'll skip my, my teenage it. years because um, <laughs> they're not really relevant um, but, but the, I, I did make one big mistake in my teenage years which is worth warning people about that about 14 or 15 I decided I was going to be a rock star um, so I stopped going to school which which is not not good and it took me quite a long time to realize that that my lack of musical talent was always going to hold me back. Great hair when I was a teenager, but it just didn't make up for it. So um, I played and played in bands for, for years, and eventually I was in one that were really good. And I kind of thought, oh, I'm not, I, I can't do this. But I knew I wanted to do something creative, and I, I'd always had a book in my pocket. So I decided I was going to be a novelist. And I think if I'd actually known how difficult it was at that point, I would not have bothered because it's a lot of work and of course I had I, my English was terrible so I, had to t- I think it took 13 13 years of writing and pretending to write writing again getting put off writing more then I, I was I was quite this sounds mad but I promise you it works I was quite lucky that I got chronically ill <laughs> I was <laughs> really poorly and too poorly to work which kind of gave me time to to write and really commit to it which I did and then I, I nothing nothing about my journey is is helpful 
to anybody listening. I can just tell you, don't <laughs> don't listen to what I'm saying and thinking that's the way to do it. Yeah. I'll, I'll follow the RJ model because because it, yeah. it, it's rubbish. Um, Acquire years, a chronic uh, illness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's it's, it's not that helpful. Uh, I made a grand total in 13 years of five dollars, which which I couldn't cash. My bank just said that's not enough money. Uh, check. I said, oh, all right, thanks. <laughs> and then Simon Spanton, who was an editor for Glanks at the time, and now he's with this angry robot at the moment, and he's lovely. So a short story that I'd written, and it was very Yorkshire about um, zombie sheep, and, and it, it's scarier than it sounds. I believe yeah. you. I've seen the sheep here. <laughs> <laughs> he got in contact with me and and said that story's too good to go on your blog where no one will read it. So thank, thanks, Simon. <laughs> can, can I put it on the Glanks blog? And he did. And then he said, have you got anything longer that I can read? And I went, yes. And I thought, brilliant. I'm going to get published. It's Simon Spann from Glanks. I sent him something and he hated it. But he did say one of his authors might like it, which was um, the fancy writer Stephen Dias. And he did. And he put me in touch with his agent. And his agent also hated it, but wanted to know if I had anything else. <laughs> um <laughs> So and I just finished this science fiction novel and I sent it to his agent and his agent read it and went, all right, came back and went, all right, I'm, I'm just going to be straight with the other. This is absolutely brilliant for the first third and the rest is terrible. Um, but if you're willing to rewrite it, let's have a go at it. And we did and it went to market and it didn't sell, um, which sounds like it should be really disappointing, but I, my mind doesn't work like that because I'm... I couldn't concentrate at all while I was on submission. I was just I don't know what to do. Do I write a different book? Do I write more of that book? Am I actually... Can I write? What is right? I don't know. I'm scared of words now. And then when he he rang, rang me up and said, oh, I'm really sorry this book hasn't sold. I was just like, all right, cool. I can go again. And I was like a dog out the traps. And I wrote what would become Age of Assassins in six weeks and sent it to my agent. Holy shit. Yeah, I'm, I'm quick when I'm sometimes and sometimes I'm not and I sent it to my agent he came back and he said good news and bad news good news I think you've got something bad news I'm dropping you as a client which is mm, uh, not not perfect what you want to oh, hear okay <laughs> um, but wow. he sort of put, put me in touch with a I made a list of agents and he said yeah try all of those and then at the end he said I would also try Ed Wilson uh, Johnson and Alcock who is on Twitter and he's called Literary Horror on Twitter and I had never thought of trying because I just think I'm, I'm not a literary writer. Um, I didn't quite finish school. I, I'm a dirty little genre writer. That's that's what I love. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I sent it to Ed uh, and he was back in touch within a week and he was just like, yeah, yeah, I've, I've read the first chapter. I want this. Contact all the other agents and tell them. And, and I signed up with him and, and it's kind of been gravy ever since. It's it's re- really weird. It's it's kind of worked out, and now I kind of realise how stupid I was thirteen years ago when I sat there and went, "Well, I'm going to sign with a big publisher or nothing." And I just look back and think, "You idiot! You absolute idiot! You should have got a proper job. That's what you should have done, and uh, gone to college or something. You fool! But it's too late now. Wasted." I mean, if, if it's any consolation, going to university didn't do shit for me. So. <laughs> Other than kill some time. Uh, and it got me into the country, I will say that. So I, I came in on a, a student visa and I had a, a partial scholarship to Leeds. And my entire plan with university is this is just stalling until I figure out something I can do because I'm not very good at like anything. 
Um, I kind of missed out when they were handing out the special autism skills day or something. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's not helped in writing, certainly. Uh, what was the course you did at sure. university? What? I, I did English because I'm, I'm boring and I can't. Uh, I mean, I actually failed fifth grade English yeah. when I was at school. I don't know what that, that equivalent would be in UK. All the best people do. Because I, I, I can't, I can't do grammar. Um, I remember it as well. Like I had a, I've, I've told people this before. I had a, an agent say to me once when reading one of my falls, you know, if you write like this, you, people will think you failed fifth grade English. And I thought, well, I have. So you've got me pegged. And, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm even worse at maths and kind of science as well and just I can't do people which means most jobs are out of the question I love hearing you list all these things that you think you're bad at because yeah talk to the people around you yeah Yeah. you're you're fantastic at several of those things I can't I can't attest to any math or science skills but I have read your writing, and my partner can. Uh, my partner can attest. To <laughs> okay, well, I'll, I'll talk. I'll talk to Lee sometime. But uh, I think my agent would agree with your agent about my English, because I regularly get get emails just just, and, and they're just the, the email equivalent of a sigh. That's just I'm going through this now, RJ, and I'm like, oh, you're not happy, and it's my fault. It's artistic. It's yeah. artistic. Also, well, it, was, it wasn't my agent that said that, just to clear. I don't, I don't want him to think too badly of it. It was an agent I queried who, who, who didn't sign me because they, they thought that my voice was middle grade and <laughs> my writing was terrible. Anyway, <laughs> you know, it's subjective, isn't it? <laughs> uh, evidently. When people say that, that a writer's grammar is bad, once you're published, that just becomes being a very voicey writer. Just, oh, they've got a yeah, unique absolutely. style. Yeah, that's because I don't understand how it works. Yeah, prepositions are for yeah. amateurs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the weirdest thing is now I think I do kind of understand how it works. Because a copy editor will kind of, the first copy editor will teach you that just just for seeing how it works and realising how much you don't want to do that. Not what I want. They, they have a deep level of language that we can only, only marvel yeah. at. But it's, so, it's wrong. Like, very quickly, what <laughs> instrument did you play when you were in your band? Well, being lazy... I kind of thought, well, the bass has only got four strings. That's got to be easier, hasn't it? So, so, so I went for the bass guitar. Uh, and in theory, it's easier, but you do need a good sense of timing, which I'm completely lacking in. And there were a couple of times where my band was playing one song and I was playing something else. And I just didn't realise. And, and things like that happened quite a lot. I had a really good time. Very, very quickly, have you heard of Shed 7? Yes, yes, I I'm aware she's... I, I will have to tell you, or I'll get my partner to tell you in person sometime, the story of how he was in the Shed 7 group before they were Shed 7. And basically they kicked him out because he kept like skipping practice to go ring bells. Because he <laughs> did a bit of bell ringing for a while. <laughs> and then after they kicked him out, they became famous. <laughs> oh, damn. Well, clearly he was holding them back or something. Mm. Hi, Lee, if you're listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a friend who, whose claim to fame is that he kicked Rick Witter, the singer from Shed 7, in the back of the knee and made him spill his drink. It, it was an accident, but, but that, that's his claim to fame, that in a, he accidentally kicked him in a crowded pub and made him spill his pint. That's what he would always say when Shed 7 came on, this guy's made him spill his drink. We've all got something we need to hang on yeah. to. 
Yeah. So when when you start when you set out to start writing, did you have a sense of what success looked like? And that's a question I've been thinking about a lot because we do often have guests on who they, they talk about having a particular shape to the dream they're chasing and what it means to them and what it what it represents. Well, I I really like some crime fiction. Um, that that's probably my my greatest love. Um, so I'd watched a lot. I'm not hate it of murder she wrote so so to me um success as a writer meant finishing my manuscript in one go and then going to the bahamas to see my editor uh, and that that in my head okay it's getting a cruise yeah 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 you finished yeah yeah and that's not what it's like um at all but um on a, on a more sort of realistic level i, I i'm not a very thinky person I, i'm more a doing person I very much live in the now I don't think about what's gone and I don't think about I try not to think about what's going to happen because writing is a precarious beast um, and you can't not be aware of that really but I, I never really thought past getting a book out and that was that was it getting a book out was success for me to have done that was just like well I've been published that that was more than I ever really suspected would happen so so that was a win and then the first year of, of my book coming out and we went all over England doing stuff with, with my wife, we kind of just at one point said, it, it don't matter if this is it because we have had the best year ever. It's just been fantastic. Oh, we met all these lovely people and uh, and that was it. And now, of course, I'm, I'm expecting millions and a yacht. So that's, millions that's, that's and next, a yacht, yeah. And a yacht, yeah, that's my next yeah. goal. That, that's, that's my next goal. That yacht's I just like, the I, bonus, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the bonus from my publisher once I've earned the millions. The, I mean, thirteen years is a long time to strive. Did you? I don't know. Did that slog ever get you down? You know, you talk about being in the moment, but were there ever moments where you're thinking like, "This is a bad idea"? I, I never thought about walking away because I'm I'm just too stupid to do that. I just I just think, just carry. I just think no, 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 no. Everyone's telling me I'm terrible at this thing, but I will get better. Um, uh, and I did short stories for such a long time and that was quite disheartening that, that I never ever got anywhere near selling and then sort of later on you realise actually short stories is quite a weird thing difficult yeah it's it's it, it's difficult and and there are markets that do kind of these seem like actually in hindsight maybe they had a bit of a stable of authors um, I don't know if it's still the same now but um, and then when I got Sorry. Oh no, I was just going to say that um, C.C. Finlay said once that when he was still editor of Fantasy and Science Fiction magazine, that sixty percent of his submissions were from professional authors, as in sixty mm. percent of stories mm. in his slush pile were from people who were already had a track record of publishing with pro magazines, which is staggering. Because right. when you're querying novels, probably ninety percent of people in that slush pile are not professional authors. <laughs> more than why are so many people doing this? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> It's it's meant. I think if you ever stop and really think about it, you just wouldn't do it because the odds of success are, are just. Oh no, this is uplifting for people listening, isn't it? You can do it, listener. You can do it. <laughs> but a lot of those other people listening, they won't. But, yeah. <laughs> this is why I didn't do it. This is why I didn't do it for years mm. and years because I need to know the worst that happens. So I I went and looked up all the stories of, of failure and you know when I was in my twenties and I read 
this article that I still reread every few years called On Being a Failed Writer by Stanley Rogowski. And it was, it was you know, and, and I just had this cemented my brain that like, this is not a good idea and you shouldn't do it. And, and therefore I didn't do writing for a very long time as a result of that. So I think, I think being really ill, apart from giving me time, um, another thing, it, I'm quite a, a laissez-faire person in general I'm kind of like oh let, let's just see what happens today I'm, I'm not making plans that's not my thing um but I, I mean I was really I have Crohn's disease and I was really ill I, I weighed about six stone and I, I couldn't eat um to, my wife referred to me as looking like a skeleton and her thing's skinny men and she does sometimes saying oh I know you were dying but but you looked so good but just <laughs> <laughs> for, for American listeners six stone is about 84 pounds Oh my God! Wow. Yeah, yeah, and I'm six foot tall, so I was, I was like nothing, um, and in constant agony, just constant pain. I'm not, I'm not looking for sympathy either. That's, that's not, not. It's no one's fault. It just <laughs> was. Um, but I've already kind of got a bar for how bad things can get, and it's very, very low. And um, my book not doing well, it, it's not going to be as bad as that. So, so I just kind of, I, I kind of go into things, and, and then, I. T- and I kind of have this mindset that the only way to fail is not to do it. So, so, but I am still utterly, utterly terrified every time a new book comes out. It just it goes slightly mental every single time. I'm surprised my agent doesn't block me. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I find I find your story very interesting. So, you wrote for 13 years on and off. It sounds like yeah. you you wrote a few stories that were rejected or people made fun of them in other ways. <laughs> <laughs> you had an agent drop you, yeah, and then all of a sudden, you know, you end up with your current agent. You write Age of Assassins, and then you've gone on a tear of how many books now since um, since Age of my... Assassins published. Yeah, seventh fantasy and there's two two crime novels as well and there's there's another I have another fall in the in the tubes so to speak I write a lot yeah well and and that's quite obvious yeah that that was one of my comments is since 2017 you've published eight or nine or, or whatever it is that you've published but they're all very very well received by everyone I've ever heard from and obviously they've you know you've you've sold well enough to keep doing this which is not a given in this business do you think there was some sort of turning point for you as a writer or do you think that it was really more of a matter of just getting into the system and the system helped you find an audience that might have been there all along there there, there was a kind of an amount of if you keep doing a thing you're going to get better at it and uh, there's a writer called Jason Arnott who, who wrote a brilliant book called The Last Days of Jack Sparks which, which infuriates me and makes me incredibly jealous every time I read it and I have to ring him up and tell him how much I hate him um, but <laughs> it, it, I, I always say there's, there's a huge element of luck to becoming a professional writer and, and what he says is yeah there is but the longer you keep at it the smaller the pool of people that, that luck can apply to um, yeah. becomes which I think is a really nice thing and that's not the question you were asking so I'm just going to go back a little bit but um no yeah that's a very good point there, there is um there, there's the graft of writing and writing and reading and writing and trying to get better each time and then with my first agent when we took apart the science fiction book and put it back together I think I learned a lot about 
how not so much how stories work because I think I knew that I think as a reader you you kind of intrinsically do understand that it's just tapping into it but um, I think I saw the skeletons of it in a different way after that um, and the Age of Assassins just kind of clicked in my head I can't I can't describe it in any useful technical way as just yeah. saying that the whole story appeared in my head actually I spoke to an editor called Matilda Imler who was with Head of Zeus at the time and she really liked my science fiction novel but sadly she moved to New Zealand and left her job um, and we got completely off what we were meant to be talking about which was my book and on to Agatha Christie that's fine keep on yeah going. we love wandering <laughs> yeah and we started talking about Agatha Christie and and I was saying oh I'd love to read a fantasy novel that was Agatha Christie and I think that was a moment where mine just went bang and that was Age of Assassins and the the book you read is more or less the book I wrote apart from the fact that there's a there's a big sort of battle at the end which there wasn't my version ended with revealing who was going to do it because it's a who's going to do it um, I hadn't even thought of it in those terms because um, I do like Arthur Christie yeah. and I have read Age of yeah. Assassins <laughs> But it, it, it's a proper like they they all get together at the end and, and they go and this is how it was done and they they tell you that and that's where it ended and my agent went yeah it's a fantasy novel you've got to have a battle you cannot <laughs> you've got to have a battle it's just the way things work and I was like I don't want to write a book I was like you have to oh, okay then so so I I I did that and, and the I think the harder things I've learned are things like covers and stuff like that and stepping back and letting the publisher do their thing. Did your title get changed yes. out of curiosity? Yes, it did. Because the reason why I asked that is I like the title and the content surprised me a little bit. Yeah. Like I read the book and I thought this is very different from what I was expecting in a yeah. way. But it felt like a marketing title. It, it absolutely is. <laughs> yeah, it's a hundred percent a marketing title. It was called um, the Uncrowned Heir, uh, first of all, which I really liked, and then my editor. I, I do like. Yeah, that. I like that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> my, my editor said, "Look, uh, you're not going to like this, but there is an amount of pedants who are going to just turn around and say, aren't all heirs technically uncrowned?" And I'm just like, "Yes, but you can have a crown prince." Uh, and he was like, "Yeah, yeah, we, we, we're not, we're not having that." And I was like, "Okay, we need to think of a new title." And then um, I was desperate to call it "All Deaths Well Intentioned," which I really liked, and I think it fits with the feel of the book and. Kind of there's an, there's an air of melancholy to it, and all of it went too crimey, too history, not fantasy enough. And, and I think I, I think I edited about fifty or sixty different titles until eventually that all of it got to the place that they've been going from the beginning, which was we really want it to have the word assassin in the title because an amount of people, yeah, people will just buy a book that says assassin, and, and if it has assassin in the title then so I was like alright then so that Age of Assassins is not my title it's theirs but it has the word assassin on it six times on the cover <laughs> it's got Age, Age of Assassins to catch an assassin use an assassin and there's more than that it's just like you completely lose all meaning to the word assassin after it you're just like I, I don't know it's just, it's just noises no, it's funny I nearly didn't read it because it had assassin in the title. I thought, oh, I'm not an assassin book reader, but people I know recommended and liked it, and that's what I tend to go off for books as recommendations, as my friends know my taste. <laughs> so, um, I think, yeah, mine was originally called Paper Flesh, which 
was precious to me because that the, the first line that I ever wrote of the book was that it, it was some quote where Devon says to you about you know she she was nothing more than the, the sum of all the paper flesh mm. you'd consumed and that was like the first thing I'd written the whole book around mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really good title though is The Book Eaters the, I see their wisdom mm. in it now but I really struggled yeah. at the time Yeah, um, I, I really struggled and I, I was the same I think because I felt like it was generic mm. and then it took me I had this long bit where I wrestled with it and I realised that my book is probably always more special to me than it will be to other people yeah. and that in a sense my book is generic like on some level and that yeah when they were the, you know they explain all the stuff I didn't know they're like there's a whole group of readers that will buy books about mm. books and that's the kind mm. of reader you want for this book and I was like uh, I didn't even know that was a thing and my agent was like oh and they have algorithms where they test out different titles and keywords and I was like holy shit <laughs> and now it's done really well so you have to like sit there going yeah they were right just really annoying. <laughs> it's like ah, you're right. It is that it's one of those books that you read and and you're just as an author within like the first couple of chapters thinking, this is such a good idea. I wish I thought of this. <laughs> I'm very cross yeah. with you, suddenly very cross about oh, this. Sorry. <laughs> so I mean, yep. I also I hated the cover for the Assassin's book as well. I just I just. See, I got the ebooks. I don't even remember your cover yeah. because I just don't pay attention on it's ebooks. It's a hooded man. I was just going, but there are no hooded people in the entire book. The whole point is they're not. They're, they're like they're like ninja. They 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 turn up as workmen. They they're not not. They were like yeah, hooded man. And I was like, I really want to change this. And they were going, well, you can change the color. That's, yep. But I'm, yep. My agent did the thing that the agents are really good at. And he sat me down and said, look, just suck it up. This is their, yeah, they're they're right, and and you have to accept that that's what it's going to be. And I know it, that is you said you, you just went. You are being precious about what you think this book is, where they are trying to sell it to people who will buy it for that cover, and discover they love it even though it's not what they expect. And I was like, oh, okay. So, and my editor said a really good thing. She said, um, "This is not the cover and title for the book you have written." written but a lot of people will buy it and the people you've written this book for will discover it through word of mouth not the cover and the title which was a kind of really nice thing for her to say but it might just have been to get me to shut up there is <laughs> <laughs> well and i think i think i think it has a lot to do titles specifically but i think it has a lot to do with simplifying a book down to that yeah. generic term or what have you is what publishers have honed their process around and that's how they know how to market and so you know they kind of have created their own little environment where that's what works for them and other things may not and i hear when i hear when i hear algorithm from a publisher i just have to uh, uh roll my eyes a little bit after having worked with them because I'm uh, what I'm guessing they're doing is going to like Google keywords or uh, there's a there's a service called Ahrefs A-H-R-E-F-S where you can search for certain uh, terms or keywords and it will return um, interest in those keywords over time Mm. right because I'm pretty goddamn sure that publishers aren't running like legit focus groups and stuff. If they are, they should tell us that, right? Because that's amazing. Mm-hmm. I wish, I wish that yeah. publishers would run like actual focus groups, actual studies <laughs> on these terms, 
on their covers, uh, ju- literally just anything, honestly. But <clears throat> I'm guessing that their algorithm is logging onto a website that that looks at what terms are most popular and most searched at the moment uh, or over recent history and aligning with those. That's my guess. Well, I'll say that's what my I'll say that's what my agent said. I've never actually heard that from from either publisher directly. Um, I do think the cover is often very editor dependent. That they they have a sense of like the sci-fi books have ships on them, you know, and that kind of thing that that, that publishers love to do. But it's all it's a lot of it is about editor vision because yeah. I think from both my editors, one of the first things they said when I finally got to talk to them was like, oh, here's what, this is the kind of thing we're imagining for the cover, and they have like a, mm. a clear picture, and I guess if they don't, you're you're probably in trouble, because you, that's when you're most likely to get stuck with stock photos and clip art. But, <laughs> <laughs> but the, the weird thing was for the Bone Ships, it was the opposite way, in that um, I, I didn't have a title for that, and Bone Ships was just my placeholder tag, because I thought, well, I'm not going to get to call it what I want anyway, so I'll, I'll just... <laughs> That was, that was the same approach I had for my second yeah. book. I thought, right, I'm not going to get attached to it, so I won't name it. And I just ended up calling the, the file Ghostfucker, which has like been a running joke on this podcast, because my editors refer to this manuscript as Ghostfucker. And we, can't, we cannot publish it like that. I will, if, if, they pu- if they publish that book with that title, I will take back yeah. every single bad thing I've ever said yeah, about publishers. Yeah. Every yeah. single bad thing, I will, I will take it back. Yeah. They will not put that in Woolworths, though. <laughs> no. <laughs> it, my UK editor had a chat with me earlier this year because my UK editor changed, one moved on, a new one took over, and she, I think she sat down quite seriously and said, look, you know, I'm really sorry, but we, we just can't have Ghostfuckers real title. I was like, no, 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 that's a joke, it's fine. So it, it's, yeah, it will have a title, but we're still working on it. Oh, <laughs> I, my God. I, yeah, Orbit would just say, oh, we, yeah, we love the button ships. And like what? Yeah, yeah, we left the bone ships. So that's what we want to call. It. And then the other two books, we we kind of had to play off because I really, really wanted the last book to be called the Bone Ships Wake. And I was just going, look, it, it's lovely and poetic. And wake means that they're waking, and it's the wake of a ship, and and it's after a funeral, and it's all of those things. And then we're like, uh, can we call the second one Call of the Bone Ships? Is that it? Can I get off what I want if you do that? And they're like, okay. I was like, yes. <laughs> Can't go with that. <laughs> that. Yeah. And then, then the new one, that that again is is not my title for it. Oh no, what, what did you call it? Deep you not... called Deep Forest right up until the end. And then um, they hated it. They, they would just say, yeah, that's, um, that, that's a folk horror title, not a fantasy title. But I, I, I got, we kind of, they wanted it to be Wildwood, which I, was I didn't like that because it felt too generic to me. I, I didn't didn't really like that at all, and it meant because it, it's a place within the book is is the weird wood that was deep forest all the way through it, and I had to change it all like uh, at the last minute to make it work with the title. But I do like it now. It's weird. I've come around to that one. I really I really like that title. They were they were right there. It works. I hate when they're right. So imposter syndrome, I think you've written a bit about on your blog about kind of doubt and its presence in your writing. And I, I, I guess I wanted to ask you a bit about imposter syndrome, what you think of it, if you still have it, if you find it helpful or if you think you'll ever get rid of yeah, it. Yeah, I, I do have it. I don't, I don't like the term. I mean, I know, I know it's a term, but I don't really like the term imposter syndrome. 
because I just doubt my ability and it's not to do with not going to school it, it's just a feeling that I always think the best way of describing it is that there is a better writer just over the hill that I'm chasing and and I can't read my old books because I'm just appalled by them I'm just oh, what how, how could I remember? and people really like them um, so I know it's me and every time a new book comes out I go slightly mad I think I got a little bit loopy. I, I just emailed my agent and what what if everybody hates it and all the reviews give it one star? What do we do then? Do I just have to go live in a hole? And um, <laughs> and and then we then we have the discussion with either him or my editor where they go, you do realise you have said this about every book you have published, every single one you have sat there gone, this is a terrible book. This is the worst thing I've ever done. No one's gonna like it. And so, uh, 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 oh, maybe maybe there's a pattern there, and I think part of that is kind of <laughs> kind of self-rejecting it, and then if everybody hates it, it doesn't matter because I'm like, yeah, I thought it was rubbish anyway, so it's yeah. okay, and, and I'm on to a new thing. And also, what I will do is I will write another book because um, I've wrote Gods of the Weird World since mate, we got it all edited. I wrote the second one, and it sort of coming up to the six months before publishing and the starting to put things out and that's when I start thinking well it's entirely different because there's a sensible thing to do you, you, you'll you'll know this is is to to do something that's a that's like the thing you did before because that's what people want they, they want something that's like the thing you did before and I, I just can't I just I wish I could but I can't I, my brain just goes no no let's do something entirely different let's do some yeah. different voice different way of doing it and, and you, you know a, a dig, an amount of your readers are going to just pick up and go this is not what I wanted from him at all yeah. it works for Jeff Vandermeer uh, he's talked about that because all of his books are so different he says with every book he yeah. picks up readers and loses them and uh, I suppose he doesn't care because he, he's got <laughs> loads of movies and stuff yeah. <laughs> yeah I've not got that cushion I, I just think what and, and, yeah, and then we get to the point of it coming up and I'm just thinking what what have I done? What have I done? Why didn't I just do like more ships? I should have done more ships. So then what I do is I write a new novel. I write an entirely new novel and give it to my agent so that if everybody hits it, it all goes wrong. I've got something ready to go. So so that that's how my my brain works. It's, instead of sort of hiding in a hole, um, my imposter syndrome makes me write more to try and create a safety net. And, and I write the new novels really quickly because the, the idea that, that I had was for like a, another fantasy murder mystery and I think I wrote, I wrote it in like, like five weeks because I was just like, this is really clear, I understand it and I'm gone and I don't desperately do not want to think about this new book that's coming out so I'm going to think about nothing but this and I'll, I'll write it. Um, yeah. Well, can you guys hear my dog snoring, or is it? <laughs> I heard it a little. I thought I thought it was I thought it was a a loud car going by your house. <laughs> She's so loud. Sorry. That's amazing, RJ. If it makes you feel any better, I I have a personal pet theory that the writers and artists generally, but writers who do have imposter syndrome and do you know, doubt their own work end up being uh, by far the best authors uh, or creators in terms of 
I guess the meaning that I find in their work, um, even if they claim that there is no meaning to be found and it's all purely commercial, I don't believe it. Uh, Sun Yi is a very good example of that. Um, <laughs> we don't know what's in our books, I think, a lot of the time. Yeah, I, I like that theory too. Yeah. yeah. It's like Richard Adams um, about Watership Down, which is one of the greatest books ever written, has always said it's just a book about rabbits for kids. And um, he's entirely wrong. And he knows he's wrong because each chapter is prefaced from quotes from like classics. And he just thinks that is not what you do in a kid's book, Richard Adams. So I, I, don't, I don't think he, he knows what that book's about. I don't think we do a yeah. lot of the time. Yeah, but also when you're talking about um, that, that disliking books as a defense mechanism, and I was going to say that I, I think I definitely do that. And I know a lot of writers who, when they go on sub, they kind of consciously decide that they don't like that book anymore because it just it mm-hmm. it makes it easier to write off the rejections if you hate it as well because you hated it first before those editors hated it. So <laughs> I hated it before it was cool, actually. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I think there was a lot of that for book eaters. It was like it was written in a bad time, and then I finished it, and I thought it's just going to go to shit like the other one. So just get in early with the dislike of this book mm-hmm. and then it doesn't matter what all those stupid reviewers think when they hate it too and it, it comes out and I'm prepared because I've hated mm. it for them <laughs> I think and they I liked think writing... it you have to sit yeah. Sorry. go ahead I was going to say that they liked it and then when they like it you have to sit there going how can these people get this so wrong yes <laughs> I wonder that all the time <laughs> yeah. why don't they have any taste uh... Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! But I think over time, you 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 kind of you you develop the distance from it to see, because um, I I had kind of a revelation um, when I, I was speaking to Croncast, um, uh, who were lovely, um, and I was talking about, and it kind of filtered down afterwards. I was talking about what what Gods of the Weird World is about, which is really difficult. Thing because it, fantasy books are like oh it's, it's a journey and God's the Weird is not it's about a man who's been betrayed and cannot trust and and it it sticks in that bit of the hero's journey where you, you refuse the call and it keeps going around in circles and coming back to the same place um, where where the call is there and he will not have it because he can't trust and he can't see what he, he really needs from life and it's quite a I would I would say a difficult book it's not like a one that invites the reader in, you you have to com- sort of stay with it because it's infuriating <laughs> okay. and, it, and it's it's really deliberate. Um, but maybe not infuriating, but well, well no. Sell no, it to readers. Read my deliberately infuriating yeah, yeah, book. Yeah, it's infuriating. <laughs> it's really slow. Um, I've, <laughs> I've described it a few times. It's about a man who doesn't go anywhere. That, that's, the, that's the plot. Because <laughs> of the weird... Um, yeah. but you might what, want to workshop that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, uh, I, I should try and describe it in a more exciting fashion so people will buy it because this is meant to be marketed. No, no, no. It is about a man who doesn't go anywhere. Uh, and he's not very nice either. But there's a very funny monk. Okay. And there's a weasel. There's kind of a weasel dog thing in it, which I really... Everyone loves a, everyone a weasel. Everyone loves a pet. Don't get me started on yeah, and weasels. Weasels get a really bad rep in fiction. They're always made out to be the bad guys because they're, they're the working classes animal, is the weasel. And, and that's, that's unfair, so I'm team weasel. Oh, 
I'll, I'll come back to the, the, the chronic illness in a second, but I just wanted to ask very quickly, like, did you have any issues pitching the Bone Chips books? Because I remember you briefly talking on Twitter about the fact that everyone always said, like, Navy books and ship stories don't sell in fantasy. I t- and that's the I one that got you the awards. <laughs> Yeah, I I didn't. I, I Jenny, my editor. I love my editor Jenny because she's she kind of. I, I wrote the. The assassins books, and I think she she just loved where I took all the the trilogy with it. That it, it it didn't, it didn't kind of do, what people expected, and and I used it to tell someone's whole life story, um, and I think she just had an enormous amount of trust with it because I didn't do a pitch. As such, I sent her a five-page prose poem that was in the voice of the book, <laughs> and, I, and I just said, "Yeah, she's she's probably not not going to agree to that." But she just came back and said, "Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm down for this. Do it." So so I did, and I, and I found out that traditionally ship books don't sell, and and they they are often the grave of fantasy writers from another writer who mentioned it to me the week before the bone ships came out and I was just like oh, that's that is that's not good timing that's, I'm in the I hate why this book. would you say that yeah, it was just like an offhand remark I was like oh thanks but it, it yeah it did it did all, it did all right even though it was a shit book and and I think and it was I got a, a an email from an well, not an email, just a message from another writer who was really dejected, and I understand why, because he'd been writing a shit book just as mine was announced, and he was just like, oh, no, that's killed my... And I was like, no, that's not, not how it works. <laughs> so either uh, my book is going to die a death, and I have saved you from dying that death later on, or my book's going to do all right, and there's going to be quite a few shit books come out afterwards. Um, and it'll because that's the way it works. Yeah, there have there's just been some really good ones. I'm quite jealous. So, so <laughs> wish I thought of that. That's, really, that's a really good idea. Um, but yeah, I didn't I didn't pitch it in a sensible way at all. And Orbit never wavered. Jenny was just like my champion for it. She just said, "Yeah, we're doing this." Uh, okay, no, that's fine. That's brilliant. Um, and yeah, I guess just yeah. very briefly on the, the chronic illness. I was, I was kind of curious. I don't know if curious is the right word but it is something that some authors live with. Mm. And I just kind of wondered like what your day looks like and what the, the challenges are of that intersecting with writing. My, my days are, are usually the same. I'm going to tell you something that appalls all writers in a minute and, and I apologise and, and just, just think badly of me because every writer I've met that I said this to does. Um, I get up and I, I have some coffee because more because I like the ritual of making coffee than I actually like coffee itself because it's actually quite unpleasant um, but I've got into that habit and then I sit and in the morning I write a minimum of a thousand words and that's what I do um, and sometimes it's more every so often it's less my, my chronic illness its biggest thing as long as it's not hurting it is tiredness but um, but those two or three hours in the morning I'm pretty good generally no matter how ill I am and even when I am really tired writing seems to be the last thing that um that goes but the, the terrible thing that i do is while i'm writing i watch television at the same time mm. and and, <laughs> and and it and it's how i watch all the things that i feel i should be paying attention to as a genre author but i'm not particularly interested in like the marvel 
like superhero series is I put them on the television and I watch them as I'm doing things and most writers go you watch television how dare you how, with people yeah. and, and, uh, but I think that I, I started seriously writing when my son was a baby and I was like stay at home dad because obviously I wasn't going to go out, out to work uh, and my wife was like well you're not getting away with doing nothing you can look after the child here it's yours um, so I'm quite used to being interrupted is part of my process so television works really well for me it upsets all of the writers they're just like no silence or maybe soundtrack music nothing else uh, I'm not going to be prescriptive about your method if it works for you clearly I mean you're getting words out a lot faster than I do in a given year so. I don't think many people are writing one book in a matter of weeks let alone repeating that over and over <laughs> I, I get quite worried I might burn out but there's been no, no, there's a real sense of joy for me in writing. It is not work. Um, yeah. I, I sit there and, and literally, when my first book came out, I can't remember who it was, and I wouldn't say if I could, but another writer said to me, oh, you're enjoying it now, but you'll become jaded very quickly. Um, it, it's a grinder and, and it gets to everybody. But I, I don't, I just wake up every morning and just think, oh, I actually get to do this. Somebody pays me to sit and do this nonsense. Um, and there are th hundreds of thousands of people who would love to be doing this. And there's a real sense of joining it. And, and to create is, is something I've always dreamed of being able to do since I was about well, 15. And, and it was music and then, then it was writing. But that, that And I can't draw, so that was always off the table. Oh, yeah, no, I, I think that a lot as well, that we're... You know, I sometimes get people ask me, like, oh, do you not find it restrictive, especially in trad publishing? And it's like, are you kidding? Like, have you had, a, like, every day yeah. job you have is going to be way more restrictive than, than publishing. Yeah. Um, and I remember yeah. writing bits and pieces in, like, my work breaks and stuff in, in the brief period where I had a hideous proper job that I hated. And, and you know, the, the demands that publishing puts on me so far are nothing compared to that it's like oh i might have to bend yeah. on on the title and i can't call it something stupid like ghost fucker well that's okay because <laughs> i still got to write a book and get paid for it even if it gets cold i don't know you could write another book sonny and then self-publish ghost fucker with its proper title <laughs> <laughs> i i do like to hear that though because uh, not that you uh suffer uh, i i i like to hear that there is you know, a, a pervasive and remaining joy in the process because that's how I feel about writing. And I do think that some people take writing as a career a little too seriously, and maybe that's mm -hmm. their own defense mechanism and, and attempt to, you know, ward off the inevitable downfall that finds most authors. But I, I mean, I find I find the exact same thing. I, I'm very productive when I'm writing something that I want to be writing and mm. that, you know, is fun to do in the moment. And when I go to something that I feel is necessary or f maybe financially prudent or what have you, <laughs> that's when it becomes a grind. So uh, I think having found that nice union of being creatively fulfilling and obviously people are finding uh, joy in your work when they're reading it. That's very nice to hear. Well, I think, you know, you get a load of those memes on writer Twitter which, or writer Facebook, which are like, oh, 
what's the one thing writers hate doing? Actually writing. And I just, at the risk of sounding like an asshole, I never identify those at all. I always read them and think, no, no, I really like it. Like, I like I like queries. I like drafting. I like looking at outlines. Synopses are a pain, but I don't mind doing them that yeah. much. You get stuck, yes, yeah. but in general, the whole process, I love doing it. And I think I, I've heard a lot of writer, you know, some of the writing gurus will say you have to write every day and all this. And I get why no. they say that. That's based around the whole mm. develop a habit. And that's assuming that you don't want to write and you're having to force yourself to do it. And I always think, well, I don't write every day and that works for me because because I want to write. Yeah. So I write when I get the chance. So I'm always yeah. happy to show up if, if there's an opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> and write, writing trilogies is, is a weird... I never expected to end up... It's really weird. I never expected to end up writing fantasy trilogies. I expected to end up writing crime or science fiction because um, they're mainly what I read now. Um, but they're, they're really weird because there's an immense amount of freedom in the first book because you've got so much space over three books so you can do what you want you can build this amazing thing um, but then by the time you get to the third book you are constrained by your own rules and I hate it I absolutely I hate being told what to do even when it's me and I was <laughs> oh why did I why did I come up with this stupid idea it's it's all awful and and you have to like be checking back to the earlier books to, to uh, and, and that, that's it's always part way book three where I just think I Next time, I will make a Bible for my book, so I've got all the stuff I need. And I don't have to keep going back and seeing what all these things were. Um, and I never, ever do. Never. It's yep. just not, not in my makeup. <laughs> well, I'm all out of general questions, so I'll hand over to you, Scott, in case you've got any. Um, we were just kind of... Mm. Some of our episodes are very focused, like with Carrie and the statistical stuff we went in with, like bullet points and some of them like with Pete and, and Nick I think we were just more conversational so I'm not I'm not going to help you with statistics no that's no that's the fine <laughs> no. the episode we just recorded is a lady that did a dissertation on what makes books sell and she had it like broken down into an algorithm and factors yeah. and all this cool stuff and it was it is was it marketing yeah, every every fact was marketing related. Would you believe? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think every every question I had has been answered in the in the course of the discussion. But I uh, I think maybe one remaining that you may or may not want to answer, RJ, is around marketing. So I'm just curious because your books are seem to be quite well received by readers. I particularly have heard about you and your work. Um, in author circles, you seem to be quite popular with other authors, whether they know you personally or not. They they seem to like your work. Have you felt, uh, especially since you know you're you're kind of uh, in that class of author who's having to to work through uh, a career and isn't just handed a giant career uh, up front? <laughs> how have you felt your uh, books have been marketed and supported generally beyond what we've already discussed with um, covers and titles and things. Uh, what what has been your general sense of, of um, how well your books have been supported by your publisher? And I've, you don't have to answer that if you don't want to. No, no, no. I've, I've, I've never felt not supported. And um, my publicity office for the, for the UK... Um, Nazia is brilliant, massively overworked, as they all are, and absolutely terrifying. Um, 
I just do what she says, basically. She just sends me emails and says, you're doing this thing on this date. And I was like, okay, then I'm doing that thing on that date. Um, <laughs> and, and and she sets me up lots of, and all bit are really good because usually now I'd be doing lots of things, but I've had to like say, oh, look, I'm just not, not well enough at the moment. So they're not actually sending me out that much. And and Angie in the, in the US is, is also, they're just really good, but they, they do their thing and... I don't really have that much to do with it. I, I've always been quite upfront with, with Orbit and my agent. When I signed with my agent, he went, how much information do you want about what's going on? And I said, well, what I want, Ed, is I want, if you were in trouble and had to embezzle funds from one of your authors, I want to be the one you'd go to first because you know I wouldn't notice. Um, <laughs> so I, <laughs> I have no knowledge of what is going on whatsoever. Orbit do this thing every so often where they will send me like numbers of books that have sold. That means nothing to me and just worries me. So I, and you get um, the Orbit author, the author portal where you can go in, you can look in real time how your books are selling um, hmm. and stuff like that. And they send you a password and a login number, which I just deleted the second I got it. I was like, no, I don't think so. <laughs> That is a quick way to send yourself mad, isn't it? Okay, so you're not like me, frantically yeah. refreshing author Amazon Central every Friday morning. No, no, because... You you are smarter than most, RJ. <laughs> well, as far as I'm concerned, I can't control it. The only thing I can control is what goes on the page. And, and so that's what I concentrate on, and I try and ignore everything else. That I will check how many reviews are on Amazon for my books in a kind of slightly obsessive manner. Logically, I know you're right. Which I'm trying... But emotionally, I think if I worry about it enough, I can impact it somehow. I just have to worry harder. <laughs> <laughs> you see, that's why I never looked. Because once you're in, that's it. It's a trap. And I don't know what... Thankfully, we have no author portal. Yeah. But, we, but yeah, look at Amazon authors. Yeah, I, d- I don't even know what that is. And, I don't, and I'm not going to thank you if you tell me. So... so... We'll, we'll just skip. I won't, I won't look now. I'm trained enough now. It's like I don't go to Goodreads. She was lying. It, it doesn't exist. It's <laughs> not accurate. Yeah. That's the worst bit about looking. It's not accurate. Yeah. So. Yeah. 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 So, so that went, went all right. But yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know why I'm doing all right. And I'm constantly aware that kind of you're only as good as your last book when, when you're a mid-list author. And, and it's a... It's a weird and precarious feeling, especially when, when your wife has a whole extension planned. Uh, and you're just like, oh God, this better be good. I'll ask this question because I've asked it for, for a lot of authors now. When did you first hear the term midlist? I first heard it, I think, from Pete McLean. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I think because it's, it's a phrase he, he uses quite a lot. Or maybe I didn't. I still don't really know what it means, but I, I, I just presume it means you've not sold nothing and you're not J.K. Rowling. And it's I've everybody got, who isn't a God. lead title, basically. Oh. So what's a, see, I don't even know what a lead title is. This is, this is how little I know about The weasels it. of the publishing I'd, world. I'd, I'd, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, with the weasels of publishing. That's <laughs> the working class. <laughs> it's, I, I, I might. Uh, oh, is 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 the lead title the one that like going? Ah, oh, this is our book for the, this, this. It's the books that get. Um, there's kind of like a gap on, on in advances. 
I think, mm-hmm. where where midlist tends to get between like twenty five and fifty k, depending on the the pop the big five imprint. And then the lead titles are the ones that are kind of breaking, usually breaking six figures a book. And there's just sort of nothing in between those two ranges, if that makes sense. This, the, the good thing is that so far both my trilogies have earned out, which is because I didn't get massive. I got, yeah, I got more money than I've ever seen in my life, mm. but that's quite a low bar. Um, but it, it was a, it was a decent amount of money, and they, they've earned out. So now I get royalties, which is kind of lovely. If you want, RJ, yeah. could you sort of plug yourself, tell people, you know, where they would find you if they look for you online and, and uh, you know, maybe briefly mention all you, the books that you've got out if they have to look for your trilogies and stuff. Um, I'm, I'm on the Slowly Dying Twitter, as if you search RJ Barker, don't, don't search my username because it's just ridiculous. Um, I, I didn't have any vowels that day. Um, I'm on Blue Sky yeah, yeah, it's a reference to the goth band Fields of the Nephilim, not a reference to H.P. Lovecraft. Not a big... And my, my website is rjbarker.co.uk, and my books are the Wounded Kingdom trilogy, which are um, Age of Assassins, Blood of Assassins, and King of Assassins. And as Sonny has pointed out, they have very little to do with assassinating in. I don't think there is any, I think there's one assassination in the entire, they're murder mysteries. Um, Loosely based around, yeah, but they're, they're loosely based around the story of King Arthur, um, which which very few people. I, I overjoyed one day when somebody sent me an email saying, "Are these are these Arthurian?" I was like, "Yes, yes, they are Arthurian." It's just buried really deeply, um, and then the Bone Ships, um, which is the Bone Ships, Call of the Bone Ships, and the Bone Ships Wake, and um, I pitched those as Patrick O'Brien, Patrick O'Brien versus Godzilla. Um, they're they're kind of big big naval battles and and it's the story of somebody learning to believe in themselves a kind of becoming a war criminal but it all all works out in the end um and then my newest one is gods of the weirdwood which as i said is about a man that doesn't go anywhere but <laughs> it's 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 landscape. I'm fascinated with landscapes. My first book was, was the moors it's all about the moors and then the next one bunch was the sea and then this one is woods and it's about forests where there are trees that can take you days to walk around the trunk they're so big and, and you can't see the tops of them and it's very folklory and strange and and it's about people who've been betrayed learning learning to trust there oh no 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 it's no it's the farm boy story that's what i keep forgetting to say that's what i meant to say it's about the farm boy that gets picked up because he's the chosen one and then it turns out, actually, he's not. It was someone else. So, so he goes off. Yeah, he goes off to. He's not the. He's not the messiah. He's just a normal yes. boy. And we join him, um, thirty years into his sulk about that. And <laughs> that's a, that's a bit more exciting than a man doesn't go anywhere in it. A little bit. I'm really bad at pitching. A, a tiny bit. Yeah. yeah. I think your, I think your editor would approve of that description more. Yeah. Yeah. You've been listening to the Publishing Radio Podcast with Sonny Dean and Scott Drakeford. Tune in next time for more in-depth discussion on everything publishing industry. See you later.